Wonderful music today. That was a special treat with a special music that was uh, special to us because we, we love the harmony, uh, Marty and I, and it's also special for me as we've been talking about the value of disciple-making and taking passion and passing it on. And to see these young men do that is just a real blessing, and it's fruit to the account of those of you who have, uh, uh, you know, not only made an emphasis on the value of the Bible, but the value of good music. And I just want to commend you for that as you you consider and rejoice today. like to have you take your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, uh, we'll be reading the first uh, three verses of Titus chapter 3 as we continue our series uh, out of Titus and we're getting to the place where we're almost done. As you can see, we're in the third chapter, there's only three chapters and uh, we're just starting that out and next week, uh, Zach Fisher will be taking the next few verses after uh, uh, the ones I'll cover today, and you'll get a, a treat that you won't have to listen to me next week, uh, but you'll also get a chance to hear his passion uh, as he preached through uh, that passage as well. If you'll follow along at uh, Titus chapter 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Let's pray. Father, as we consider what Paul is writing to Titus, sharing with him the value of reminding those who are in his care of their responsibility to live out what they've been taught in godliness before the world in which they live. Father, as we have already prayed, we we find ourselves in a very difficult time of life where society is not as 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 gracious and friendly towards your words, where being obedient to you is uh, sometimes not seen as as healthy uh, by some. And God, I pray that as our society continues to battle over uh, very solid principles, that you will help us as believers to continue to be the shining light that you have uh, set us out to be that we might recognize that it's our responsibility not to forget what the gospel is all about, not to forget that the gospel not only empowers us to live godliness, but it also is the, the point of us living godly so that others will see who you are and have hope in this dark, dark world in which we live. Father, I pray. Uh, you allow me today, as uh, I'm excited about uh, what you have uh, printed in your scriptures, and I just want to be uh, your instrument, don't want to get in the way of your word, but I pray, God, that you would be glorified in what is said, and that it would be an encouragement to us, or a challenge to us, but that most of all, that we'll go forth from here, uh, utilizing your word to better reach those people that are around us, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. As we, as we consider... 
Titus 3, uh, 1 through 13, uh, excuse me, 1 through 3, I picked the title of Sowing in Hard Soil. As you'll notice from your notes, I didn't make it because I figured that out after we printed the bulletin. But the uh, title is uh, Sowing in Hard Soil. And I considered, really, uh, what, uh, what our situation is. Uh, we are known for the great soil that we have in Iowa. And I've mentioned this before, and I don't, wouldn't have known this if it wasn't for my farmer's daughter wife, uh, who gave me that uh, realization that that black stuff that sometimes we get all over us is good stuff. Uh, but uh, when we talk about Crete, Crete is not known for that. As a matter of fact, uh, there's my uh, drawing of Crete, as you can see that on there, uh, that as far as trying to draw it to scale. It's a small island. Uh, I have not been to Crete, but I've been to Jamaica. And uh, it's uh, somewhat similar to Jamaica in size, just a little bit smaller, a little bit different shape, but it's still elongated. And I had the opportunity to tour around in Jamaica as we went to some back a- uh, woods area and to uh, visiting with the have-nots in that city and, and not really spending time where all the resort and such is in Jamaica, but helping uh, pastors and others that uh, were in need in in Jamaica. Uh, so I have somewhat idea of this island concept, but unlike Jamaica, unlike Iowa, only one-third of Crete is actually something that you could grow something on. It's uh, a matter of fact, it's very mountainous. Uh, here's a picture of the ha gorge. Uh, Crete is mountainous and its character is defined by high mountain ranges crossing from west to east formed by six different groups of mountains. So this this rocky place where where uh, 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 Titus is is to to be there to ensure that not only that things are set in order and not only that elders are put into place but this is a society that needs to be reached for Jesus Christ. And in that the uh, actual geography of Crete uh, was a challenge, I would suggest that even the society of Crete was a challenge to spiritually sow the Word of God. Here's some things that we review from chapter 1 uh, in Titus as uh, Paul was writing to Titus in the beginning of that, that passage and encouraging him uh, in verses 10 through 12. I'll read it for you. Titus 1, 10 through 12. He says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain uh, that what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This is the type of soil in a sense that uh, Titus is to encourage and remind those he's talking to or working with uh, to, to try to reach. Look at those words. No respect for the truth. They're always liars. Matter of fact, the term to cretinize was the term for to lie. They were that much known for their uh, disrespect for the truth. They would manipulate the truth to get anything that they wanted. Uh, They're selfish, undisciplined, insubordinate, not willing to follow any of the rules. Uh, empty talkers and manipulators. That was basically what was considered the way of life. Uh, uh, in, uh, sometimes we talk about what is common sense. Well, for them, 
this right here for the typical Cretan would be what they would call common sense. This is a way, a way of life. Uh, you, do not, uh, you do not follow leadership. You do not obey. Uh, you try to manipulate your way out of everything. And imagine what it's like when you have those that are amongst the people doing that. Imagine what it would be like if your government was that way as well. So let's look at what uh, Paul says to Titus in chapter 3. Uh, in regard to the, what what they have. And here's just some more things about their, uh, uh, really when Rome came in about 67 B.C., uh, they brought also their idols and, and such and their uh, worship of different gods. Uh, they had emperor worship, and they had, this is what I thought was interesting, uh, there was a god by the name of Saturn, okay, that apparently wanted to eat all of his children so that they couldn't take over the throne. Uh, but uh, his wife, instead of, another goddess, uh, instead of telling him about her son, gave him a stone to eat instead, and she escaped and hid in Crete to uh, raise Jupiter, which became the king of the gods. So, interesting information. Imagine if that is your backstory of your, uh, of your country and such, and that's, what, uh, that's basically giving an idea of what their emphasis might have been. But what does Paul say? Here's where I was getting to. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says to remind them. Now, I want to jump to uh, verse 8, if your Bibles are open to, to Titus chapter 3, because in the next few verses, you have things that Paul wants them to be reminded of. And it, and it revolves around their godliness, and it revolves around the gospel. And I want to just look at eight, as it kind of seems to be to me, uh, a, a, I guess a, a, a working out of why this is all this important. He says this, for the trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, kind of the same as remind them. Uh, So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, And and I believe that Paul is talking about not just for those who do them. I think he's talking about the profit that it has. That when we decide to live godly lives, those who do not know God or do not know Jesus have the benefit of of us living out a godly life. That was true for me when I was a young person and I was genuinely hungry to know about God and had been exposed to people whose life and character did not match my limited concept of what it should in a person who truly followed God. And until that one day when I came across someone who seemed to live out a godly life in a way in which I could see that there was hope that maybe they were following the right God. And this is, I believe, what Paul is telling Titus, that the whole point of the gospel helping us lead towards godliness is so that we would lead others to the gospel. I don't know how many people have been turned off by individuals who have not lived consistent godly lives, but yet claimed a relationship with Christ, and not only that, insisted that somebody else claim Christ, and yet the hypocrisy was such a distraction in that particular situation. So Paul is encouraging Titus to ensure to remind them of these things. And I'm going to look at them as the seven. 
Now, there's, the seven is a wonderful number. It's a favorite number of many. It's called the perfect number. You got, uh, uh, you got Covey's uh, seven habits of highly successful people. Uh, you got the magnificent, magnificent seven. You got the seven musketeers. Just checking to see if you're awake. Uh, but, but at any rate, the, the idea is that there's a lot of sevens out there. And uh, here's a situation where I, I see seven different things that if we were to devote ourselves to them, and if we were to be consistent with them, we would be able to see people drawn more to Christ uh, as we live it out. Look at the first one, kind of one that I thought that uh, uh, would be difficult because many times we as, as Christians tend to uh, make the Bible our authority, and we should, and uh, we have our church authority, and we should follow that. But sometimes we kind of think that that's contrary to the importance of respecting the authority that society uh, has, has, that God has set up. And I took the time to just pick out a few of the, uh, the words that go with this, the submit, to align yourself up underneath, where it's not just in this passage where, where Paul is talking to Titus, and it's not just something for Crete. It wasn't just something specific for them. It's something that is expected of us as believers uh, look, first of all, Romans chapter 13, if you would, as we uh, uh, just get a, a feel for what Paul is talking about. I remind you that if you're familiar with the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are filled with wonderful doctrines about how that we are justified through Jesus Christ and how that we can be sanctified, set aside for him, and how that we will see the glory of Jesus Christ. All things we talked about last week, uh, that uh, in chapter 12, he now says, I beseech you, brethren, by these mercies, that you present your bodies living sacrifice. And then, after talking about the value of getting uh, uh, unified as a local church, ministering, using our gifts, he, he moves into dealing with those that it might be enemies and all the way to the point of chapter 13 uh, where we, Paul is very much familiar with what the government is like. He has a front row seat of the government. He knows the corruption that is there, but he knows the deep need for them to come to know Christ as their Savior. But he says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and th those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. There's so much packed into this passage, but if you, you want to do a further study on what Paul is talking about, he is telling us that those that, that are established in the government, uh, even though they are not established by the church, they are established by God. And that God has put them in that place. And consider, consider what they had for leadership and what they had for government back at the time Paul is writing this. They would have Caesars that were the ultimate authority and power. They had uh, a lot of others that were brought up into areas of leadership many times through uh, the, if you want to call it the greasing of the palm or, or, or working through manipulative ways to get into that. And I can only imagine, given the idea of what Crete had for their society, the amount of manipulation there was and jockeying to be able to get into positions of authority and how 
hard it would be to respect those people, how hard it would be to follow these people. Yet, yet Paul is exhorting us in Romans uh, 13 to, uh, uh, to submit to them and to remember. Look at uh, in Second Peter as we were to look at, again, it's not just a theme that Paul has, but even Peter, in a, in a sense of talking about what suffering is all about, talking about the order and the value of submission, uh, he says this in verse 13 of chapter 2, 1 Peter two thirteen: Be subject for the Lord's sake. I think that's very important to understand. Paul was given the impression that, that uh, you're, you're subject because it's good for you. It's good for you because you follow the law. Life is going to be easier for you. Here's what Peter is saying. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperors as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That by our willingness to align ourselves under, to listen to, to follow, to obey, we follow an orderliness that allows God to work and to be exalted in that, in that scenario. And then going to 1 Timothy, if we want to uh, just look at that uh, real quickly. In, in 1 Timothy, uh, in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, uh, here we're exhorted to pray. And look why we should pray. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. Now, to get an idea that our... Our willingness to align ourselves up and, and our willingness to obey, uh, to listen, to follow, those are all tools that not only bring glory to God, but allow us to be, be available to share Jesus and people to see that uh, in, in our lives. Uh, we're very familiar with that word obey uh, in, in a lot of contexts. It's seen also in Acts chapter 5 uh, when Peter and John are being uh, by the leadership of that day, uh, they were told not to preach the gospel. They were told they shouldn't do that. And here uh, in verse 29 of chapter 5, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, the rest of the story on that is Peter and John knew that they were going to keep them from preaching the gospel. And so rather than for them to get together and to pray and to figure out ways that they can overthrow this, they prayed for boldness because they knew what the authority was. And they knew they could not obey an authority that told them they could not preach the gospel. And I trust that at the time when authority gets to the place where it tells us we can't preach the gospel, we will stand strong and say we must obey God rather than men. Because we are told that the preaching of the gospel is our primary responsibility while we're on, life, on this earth and are citizens of this, of this world in a sense. So we are encouraged to be submissive. Our submissiveness should be in those areas of our civil government, 
And it also should be in the areas of our following those that God sets up, even in our church leadership, so that others will look and see that we are people that are not prone to uh, be disobedient, are not prone to be unsubmissive. We are prone to align ourselves up. Chapter two, uh, uh, excuse me, number two, is I encourage us not only to think about being submissive, but also to be helpful. Uh, Paul says this, remind them to be ready for every good work. I like the word ready in there, because in that concept of ready is that there is an intentionality to be ready. I knew a man who would put tools and extra warm clothes in his car. And I thought, well, you're just going to go from your car to where you're going. He says, yes, but I might find somebody along the road that needs some help. And I want to be ready to help them. And so he equipped himself in that particular situation to, to be available. It's an intentionality of, of, of helping others. Paul said it this way in Galatians 6.10. He says, do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. But he's including everyone. It should be our desire not only to be a good citizen, as we saw in the first point, but just a good neighbor. To think about how that God can use us to be a help in somebody else's life. We can get all caught up on being good and having people think that we do good. We avoid this, we avoid that. But do people see us doing good on the behalf of others? Do people see us willing to come out of our comfort zones for the sake of those that may not agree with us or those that may not support us? Jesus said it this way, if we love those who love us, What's the big deal? Even unbelievers do that. And you can see that over and over again where unbelievers will jump to the occasion and will come and assist and help in a variety of different ways when a crisis takes place. And uh, we too ought to realize that although we are to help the household of faith, and I think that's an incredible, important thing that we ought to do, I believe that the Bible is calling us, if we're wanting to reach the rocky soil around us, to be willing to make ourselves available and to go out of our way and to be intentional in the areas of being helpful to other people. The third item is to watch your words. He says to speak evil of no one. That word speak evil is that word blaspheme. Same thing that he encouraged the older ladies to be careful of. To, to use their tongues in a proper fashion. But in general, it's true of all of us that we should avoid using our, our speech to tear down other people. Years ago, when I was in college, I didn't think much about my words. I had learned as a way of kind of, oh, self-preservation of using my wit to get some laughs or to, in a sense... Uh, I'll just protect myself from different things. And as a result, my thought was what I had to say really wasn't that important. I didn't think anybody put a lot of weight to my words until one time someone got exceptionally upset because I said something. And I was really baffled by that. And so I went back to my dorm and I was talking with my roommate and I said, I was really surprised at how upset they were because I just made this simple comment. Yes, it wasn't a positive comment, and yes, it might have been a little sarcastic, but I don't understand why they were so upset. And my friend turned to me and said, Scott, you do that a lot. And I go, what? 
Yeah, you don't use your words to encourage people. I said, can you give me an example? And he did. And I went to that individual and, and worked it out. But at that point, I realized it was a situation where I had to intentionally determine to use my speech, use my words to build up rather than to tear down. Not to try to use my wit in a way to try to insult someone so I could get a laugh, but instead to use the, the mind and the, the ability to speak that God has given to me to encourage others. It said this way in Colossians. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You may have heard this phrase, if you don't have anything nice to say, work harder. Right? <laughs> we like the idea, if I don't have anything nice to say, I don't have to say anything. But God is calling us to have words that are seasoned, to have a way of speaking grace into the life of another person. And if I take that way out, and I will, Okay, because I am a, uh, by nature, a, an escaper and one who doesn't want to deal with things. And so if I have something I need to say to someone, it's very easy for me to bite my tongue. It's very easy for me to just avoid that person. But I believe God is calling me not just to avoid saying evil things. He's calling me to edify, to say words that build up. And maybe, if I don't have anything good to say to this person, I need to spend some more time in prayer. Maybe I need to spend more time getting to understand why they function the way they do. Or maybe I need to have a better goal in mind when I go to talk to them. Because there's a lot of good to say to anyone. God has given us so much wonderful truth and grace. Uh, the fourth one is to pursue peace. Avoid quarreling and fighting. But we're supposed to fight. We're the fundamentalists, right? I mean, that's what we do. We're, we're, to, we're to do that. We're to be apologists and et cetera. Uh, that uh, we ought to make sure that no one uh, sends us astray in regard to the word. And I think that there's truth to the fact that we need to defend. Defend the word of God. We need to be strong in what we believe. But we also need to uh, be helping people pursue peace. I like what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. I don't have time to read the whole portion, so I just have it here. It says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. God is calling us not to just, uh, you know, revile against revile and argue against argue. And, uh, but he, he says later on, verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. My desire should be to help people go towards peace. I have a friend. He gets together with another friend. And they go down to the, uh, the, to the university at Ames. And they are there for the sole purpose of talking to students about Jesus Christ. Now, they do not sit there with a sign that says repent or burn. Okay, they aren't there to judge the people for what they're wearing or not. They're not there to uh, uh, argue with them about uh, what they may or may not believe. They want to help them pursue peace with God. They want to be there to answer their questions. They want to show that they care about them. As and many times, they get into some great, discussions, not because they're there to argue, not because they're there to try to revile them, 
Uh, they were there to be a blessing to them. And oh yes, there would be those that want to try to get them into an argument. There would be those that want to debate certain things. But their goal was to show that section of the world that people of the word, people of grace, people of the gospel care. Not that we just want to prove we're right. We want to prove that we care and that we love and that we're pursuing peace. Next item is he says to be gentle. There's different definitions of gentle uh, that we apply in, in, in English. Uh, but the, what I like is the reasonableness that is found in the translation of this word uh, in, in uh, Philippians 4, 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone the Lord is at hand. God is calling us to be reasonable, to be gentle, to be moderate, that we might make as our passion to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And those ought to be the things that we're passionate about. And in light of all the other things that we might find ourselves wanting to get uptight about, can we be reasonable? Can we be gentle? Can we work through things with other believers in a reasonable fashion? in a way that we can check our emotions and move forward. Oh, how we would have a better testimony to the world around us if we were more gentle and reasonable in how we dealt with our differences as Christians. And oh, how we would have a different impact in our world around us if when we're dealing with those out in the world and we're willing to be reasonable and gentle, when we didn't get the deal we thought we should have, or we weren't treated in the way we should have been, or if someone drives like we shouldn't, they shouldn't be, in our opinion. Are we showing the world that we're reasonable? Reminding them of the fact that, uh, you know, the, the people that they were responsible for, the Cretans, they were not reasonable. They constantly wanted what they wanted, they were concerned more about themselves, to manipulate, to control, and to intimidate. And maybe we find ourselves acting some of the same ways, that we feel that if I don't stand up for myself, nobody else will, and that is going to be my mantra. I think God is calling us to gentleness, to making our efforts to bring Christ to other individuals. Now, the sixth item is simply to be considerate. You know that we as Christians should be polite, we should be polite. It shouldn't be unusual for us to do something and someone to say, wow, that was polite. Uh, unless, unless they don't know we're a Christian, that would open the door for us to, to be polite. Uh, Paul says it this way, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For me to be considerate, I need to think about what the interests of someone else might be. They're carrying a heavy load, obviously. I want to open the door for them so they can come in uh, so that they don't have to try to juggle the door and et cetera. But that, those are some of the obvious things. But there are times when we can look at somebody's situation and we can defer. There, we can look at what our interests are and we can defer to someone else's interests. I have found the more mature we are and the more we're like Christ, the more that we have the grace to defer our desires and think about the interests of others. Paul said it this way in Philippians uh, chapter 2. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. As we close out, we think about the seventh item, uh, that we use a grid of mercy. Now, some would be tempted to put this in the other, other section. Uh, I have put it here. 
because I think this is critical to helping individuals see the gospel in our godliness. Because often we forget. We forget the amount of grace that has been extended to us. We forget about the amount of mercy that is extended to us. Last week I talked about the 1951 Sea Green Ford that was resurrected from a, uh, uh, a field. Remember had the uh, snake skins and the mice in it, all that kind of stuff, dead mice. All right, so that is a beautiful vehicle. Now that is on display. The owners of that car will not forget where it came from. The owners of the car not only will tell you about its current features, they are willing to tell you about what it used to look like, what it had been. And I mentioned in, the, in my sermon that it had been good to, to maybe just put a, a, a sign up there to, to say, uh, found in a field, you know, junked, whatever. Uh, and that maybe we as Christians should wear cardboard signs. I don't know as if we need to, but I don't think it ought to shock people that we understand how important the mercy of God is. I, I don't think it should shock people that we realize that without Jesus Christ, we are nothing. So often people are intimidated by us because we, we have what they would consider uh, the, the shiny lives, the, uh, the opportunities that they don't have, that they don't, uh, the history that they don't have, or we don't have the history that they have. And they may look at that and say, I can't be part of that. But unless we continue to re be reminded that except for the grace of God, that's what we are. We are not worthy of the grace of God. We're not worthy of spending together time with other believers. But it is our use of the grid of mercy to be reminded of the fact that even if we do not have a history where it feels like we were in some field junked out, without Christ... That could very well be you. Without Christ, your life could be totally uh, outside of the bonds that you see right now. And if you can be thinking about that, Paul says it this way. He's, I mean, he's saying this to, the, to Titus, and he says, you, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sounds like a wonderful group of guys to hang with, right? But that's who we are without Jesus. Paul says another way when he's talking to the Corinthians. Uh, the Corinthians had a problem. They were trying to take each other to court uh, because people were cheating them of different things. And so they wanted to be uh, made sure that they were cared for right. But they were doing this in front of unbelievers. And Paul is saying, that's a shame. You shouldn't be uh, showing the fact that you have priorities other than Jesus and love uh, in front of unbelievers. And he says, that, that, but you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Uh, and he goes then to list all of those that would not make the kingdom of heaven. Uh, a, a horrible list of, of sins. And then he says this, and such were some of you. But you were cleansed. You were purchased. You were made right through Jesus Christ and what we have in the gospel. And so as we take time to do what Paul was telling Titus to do. Remind them. Remind them of these various things. I have sought to remind you, and I also encourage you as you partake of the Lord's Supper today, that you'll be reminded of the grace and mercy of God as he has made it possible 
for you to pursue godliness, for you to be able to be free of some of the things that were listed in this passage and that you could live in such a way that you would be someone he would trust with the gospel to share with somebody else. What a great privilege. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for the privilege of being one of your children. Take it lightly at times, and I forget that I'm supposed to walk worthy of that. Walking worthy is I need to ensure that the pursuit of godliness is so that your gospel will go out. Yes, I want you to be pleased with me. But yes, I want to be one who sees fruit. I want to be one of the ones that plants and waters. Father, I pray that uh, you'll help me to have a greater desire of that. Give me more boldness. Pray for my friends here as well, that if you're working in their heart, maybe there's some of the seven that they have struggled with, things that they may have to repent to you about, things they might have to have some help from you or maybe a fellow brother or sister to work through. Father, we not only want to please you, we not only want to work, walk worthy, we don't want to be a distraction to someone coming to know Christ. Help us, Lord, be faithful, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.